problems. The, uh, the book of Acts is full of problems. In Acts chapter 1, we actually start off and Judas is dead. He killed himself. They need a replacement. That's a problem. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, fills the believers and people start speaking in tongues and people think they're drunk. That's a problem. Acts chapter 3, the apostles heal a crippled guy and in Acts chapter 4, it gets them in trouble with the court of the day, the Sanhedrin. That's a problem. Acts chapter 4, we've got people selling houses and land and sharing them and then in Acts chapter 5, what actually happens is there's a couple in the church that thinks, we'll do the same. We'll sell our, our stuff and then we'll go in and we'll say that we've given all the money to the church even though they kept a bit back for themselves. That's a problem. You know, the, in Acts chapter 5, we've got the apostles. They get arrested, they get tried and flogged. That's a problem. Does anyone think that's a problem? <laughs> Getting flogged is, is a problem. Okay, that's, that's going to hurt. And then we get to Acts 6, which is where we're up to today. And we find that the, uh, the disciples are increasing in number and what we have is another problem. We just have another problem. Another one crops up. So let's read the text. If you can grab your Bibles, that'd be great. We're going to go to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmesan, no, it's <laughs> Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I reckon what we see in this passage is we see another problem, another solution and a holistic solution. Let's get into it. Another problem. Have a look at verse 1. What have we actually got here? We've got a problem. And the interesting thing about verse 1 is the problem is connected to growth. Now, you just have to expect that. If things grow, you're going to have problems. You know, that the growth of the disciples leads to a problem, and it's kind of how it works. With growth comes problems. And I want to ask the question of you this morning, are problems always bad? They're always dangerous, I think, but are they always bad? I don't think they are. You know, sh- should we work toward a situation where we'd never have any problems? Is that the ideal world? I mean, I used to think that when I was leading the church. I just thought, I just want to have a clean run. Like, give me six months, eight months of clean run with no problems. Which usually means you're not working with people, by the way, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Does the arrival of problems wreck your day? 
Well, it depends on the way that you view them. Here's another way of asking those questions. Are problems the result of sin and evil in the world? Well, yes and no is the answer to that, right? Some definitely are. You definitely have some problems because of sin and evil in the world. But let me sharpen the question even more. Would there have been problems before sin entered the world? I think there would have been. I think there's a lot of problems that are the the result of sin and evil in the world. But I think there's some problems that actually aren't the result of sin and evil in the world. Let me give you an example. A maths problem. Now, some of you think that mass problems are sinful and evil, <laughs> all right? You just do, but they're not, right? A mass problem is not sinful or evil, and it doesn't come from any kind of moral fault that exists in the world. It doesn't actually fall under a moral category. I think it falls under a growth category. There, I think there are problems that exist that need solving that are the fruit of God's God calling us and and, and giving us dominion in the world to exercise dominion over the created world. You know, the the problem with us is that problems are often a uh, a mixed bag. There are problems that are related to evil, but there's also a bunch of problems that are related to growth. And I want to say that if if you're a neat neck and you like to have a world without problems, first thing is, that's just not going to happen. And the second thing is, if you try to do that, you're probably just not going to grow in a whole bunch of areas that you need to grow. Um, if you've been having any kind of conversation with me over the last few months, you've probably heard me talk about this book here, which is not a Christian book, by a guy called Ed Catmull, who is the co-founder of Pixar. Right? Uh, found it so crazily helpful. Okay? And one of, one of the things that Ed actually says, if you want, you want your organisation to grow and you want them to find really creative, good solutions to things, then you just have to embrace the fact that problems exist, you need to go looking for them. So rather than avoiding them, you actually need to go looking for problems. And one of the things that Ed says in this book is he says, the the most dangerous problem that exists for you is the one that you don't know about. Now, I think that's consistent with Scripture. I think the most dangerous sin for you is the one that you don't know about right? Sin is a problem and you should go looking for it and you should try and uncover as much of that as you possibly can because that's the stuff that's actually a problem in your life. I don't know whether you've ever had that experience where you finally notice that you've been doing something in your life and you put your hand up and you maybe you tell your spouse, you just say, hey, I just realised I've been doing this. It's like, yeah, you've been doing it the last 15 years. Has anyone had that? It was a problem, you just didn't see it. So what we've actually done as a uh, project staff is we've started this thing called uh, Project Problems. And it's, it's not allowed to be about people, so you don't need to sweat the fact that we're having a chat about you behind your back. But at the end of our staff devotions, we do staff devotions every Tuesday from 9 till 9.30ish. And anyone's welcome to come to that. You can come and join us for staff devotions if you want. It's a really cool time. Anyway, at the end of that, we have this 15-minute segment which I call Project Problems. And uh, we are rostered on. And uh, you don't, it's not like when you find a problem, uh, you're going to be rostered on, uh, and you'll, sorry, when you find a problem, it's not that you just turn up, you go, I've got a problem, so I'll have project problems today. It's like, I just think, I think this is really good. I think 
what Ed says is really, God, we, really good. We need to just be working hard to find the problems that exist, which means that the staff are on a roster, which means you need to find something that's not going as well as you want it to go in your area of responsibility. Bring it. You've got 60 seconds to talk about what that thing is, and then the staff as a whole get, to, get together and put our heads together and we whiteboard it. And we've got 14 minutes to throw a whole bunch of solutions around about how we could go forward in the middle of that problem. Looking for problems because the problems are already there. You know, do I think that the problem with the widows was there before the complaint came? Yeah, totally it was. It was building up for a while. I think we just want to be people who just go looking for where the problems are and then gathering people together to go forward in the middle of the problems. This is why I think humility and teachability are such key character traits, right? You know, there is a whole bunch of stuff in your life that is not going well for you right now and there's a bunch of it you don't even know about. (laughs) There's a bunch of things going well but there's a bunch you don't know about and you ought to just be someone who goes looking for something that's not going well so that things can go well. Be humble, be teachable. You want to assume that you don't have everything squared away. You need to welcome people saying, I think there's a problem here because there probably is. And it was probably already there. You know, sticking your head in the sand doesn't change anything. Who knows that? It just doesn't change anything. And and what I'm saying here is not like you just need to have some it's not a mind trick, all right, where you just need to have a, a positive view of what a problem is. That's not even what I'm talking about. Think about sin with me for a minute, all right? Who here really enjoys it when their child's sin goes public? <laughs> you don't, right? But it's actually a really good thing. It's actually a really good thing, it's a difficult thing, but it's actually a really good thing when anyone's sin goes public. Because a secret sin is particularly destructive, is it not? And so you want stuff to actually go public. You know, what, what you get to see when your child or someone that you know, where they have a sin that goes public, is you actually get to see and deal with a sin that, and a problem that was going on the whole way along. You know what I'm talking about? It was there. It's not like sticking your head in the sand stops it from being there. You're just in denial. You know, you can't deal with or grow through a hidden thing. And when something is hidden, it can stay hidden, it can be a bit hidden from you and it can hamper you and stop you and and hurt you and hurt other people without you even knowing it fully. I've changed to enjoying hearing about problems, mostly. It's way, way, way better. You know why? Because I just want to grow up. I want things to go forward. I uh, I often joke with people that uh, the further you get up in leadership in an organisation, the more problems come your way that no one else can solve. And it's actually true. It's actually what happens. And if you end up at the top of the organisation, you know what you get? All of the problems that no one else in your organisation can sort out. Now, if you are absolutely committed to never having a problem in your life, that's not going to be a good place for you. (laughs) 
And that's, that's where I was for a bit. It was like, I just don't want to have, can you guys just get stuff sorted out so I don't have to deal with it? And it's like, no, like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's find out where the problems are. Let's find out where the stuff is that's not working well. Let's get this place working really well. Let's get people following Jesus. And if there's a problem there and or there or there or there, like, let's just hear about it. And let's get in there. Let's get amongst it. Because the last time I checked, Jesus was the kind of person that gets amongst problems. True? He just does. I mean, what even is that? You kind of, you, you set aside, he sets aside everything that he had in the heavens and he comes down and he walks with a bunch of scumbags. <laughs> really? For 33 years. Like if that's not, he's into getting in the middle of problems and doing something good in the middle of them, I don't know what is. Well, we have had lots of problems at the project. Okay? We, uh, many of you have heard this, but when the project started, we, uh, we kind of, uh, Nathan Gilmore and Diff Crowther and I, we kind of got together and we said, let's give this a crack and see if there's anything left standing after two years and we'll work out whether we're going to keep going then. So that's a big vision, a two-year vision. That was a big one for us. We started, we didn't have any denominational backing, which we really enjoyed, but then you know what you get with denominational back, backing is all, this, all these theological and doctrinal statements and you get process documents and you get HR document policies and, or policy documents. You get all sorts of stuff that we just didn't get. And I'll tell you one thing that happens... Uh, has happened with the project is the project just grows and it outgrows the structures and we kind of scramble to make sure that the structures are growing with the size of the church but then it goes a bit beyond it and then it becomes problematic and you've got to deal with some problems and that just seems to have been the pattern for us. I think we're getting better at being ahead of the curve, right? But is it possible that we're, uh, well, I'm going to talk about this later, but is it possible that we're going to have some problems that uh, we haven't, catered for or got a head around yet absolutely are they dangerous are they are problems uh things that can hurt people absolutely they are you know one of the problems for us at the moment is uh i'll talk about it now one of the problems for us now is uh is a venue to meet in and that's not the only ones i'll get to the other one later on but we've got a, a heart to really reach our community and our facilities just don't cut it right now this this hall is not big enough this uh, this hall today is uh it is over 80 percent full and churches have stopped growing at 80 percent when the building's 80 percent full that's the conventional wisdom on it so what do we do oh we could stop <laughs> but that's never been my vision to uh to limit the amount of impact that jesus would have us to make on the highfields community and the Toowoomba community so what do we do? Well, we've got a problem. And, and what, what you will see is that um, the elders, we are just embracing lots of people in this process of thinking about the problem in front of us. So um, Alex McLennan, the head of the Leadership Advisory Group, which is, looks after our HR and policies and that sort of stuff for us, really appreciate everything those guys do, uh, came and met up with the elders and said, what do you think that we need in terms of a venue and a location? And so we had this hour-long meeting early on a Thursday morning and an elders meeting one time and uh, and then we kind of sent sent him away and 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 the, the leadership advisory group have been working on venue <laughs> venue stuff I think that's uh, Alex and Loki and Will and uh, Alan Conroy I think I think I've got everyone so we've actually had four people working on that sort of stuff it's like 
You know what you do when you have a problem and you're not sure how to solve it is you enlarge the circle of people that you're working with to resolve the problem. That's what you do. And, and are we at some point in time just going to come out and just make some kind of official decree to you about what we're doing? No, we're not. We're actually going to gather all the information, work out what we think is the best way forward and then we'll come and talk to you about it. And you'll get the opportunity to be part of that. Which is, I think, what you actually see in uh, Acts chapter 6. We've got a problem, we get everyone together, and we'll have a talk about it. Because, you know, it's, it sounds really cheesy, but this is one of the things that I, I say about our project problems with the staff. Uh, a problem for one is a problem for all. And this, this is a problem for all. So it's good for us to do it together. But as we go back to the text... One thing that you actually realise about this problem that we see in Acts chapter 6 is it wasn't just a growth problem. There are growth problems, but it wasn't just a growth problem. Go back and have a look at that, um, that verse there with me. Now in these days when the disciples are increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. This wasn't just a growth problem. This was a neglect problem. It was a bit more sinister than just a growth problem. It wasn't just about being overlooked. It actually has got a sense of discrimination about it. That there's some people that needed to be looked after that weren't being looked after. And the ones that were missing out on it all were the, were the, uh, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. Now, this is a significant problem. Let me just run through this really quickly. It's a significant problem because they are widows. You know, widow, uh, women spent their lives in their father's house and then the houses of their husbands. They had little economic opportunity. They didn't control property and they were vulnerable. If, if they were widowed, they, uh, they were vulnerable. They were often in poverty. That's a problem, right? They want people to, to be in, in poverty. It was a problem because it was about food. Now, you have to be pretty understanding here, right? But when you, just, when you don't have food, life can get really, like, crazy tough, right? Like, that, that's kind of a vital ingredient for life. They don't have enough food, you know? And I'd encourage you, don't be too quick to be critical of the widows. Like, how would you go if you didn't have enough food? We, um, as a family, were out um, visiting um, Nat Sparrow, who was... Uh, who's, one of the head guys there for the, the, base, the base church, he, was, he slept rough for a week and we went and visited him down the street and uh, we were just having a yarn to him and uh, you know one of the things that he, he said when we were down there is um, that the involvement of homeless people with police reduces significantly when they get one good meal a day. Like statistically. And that makes sense, right? Like if you don't have food, it's like that's, that's like a critical thing. Like we need to go after and get some food from somewhere. When you don't have food, it gets messy. So it's messy and it's difficult. It's a significant problem because they're widows, because it was about food. And here's the last one, because it was a complaint. Now, if you do a bit of a word search through the scriptures about complaining, right? And, and you're not going to come up feeling too good about yourself at that point or pretty happy about complaint right because usually if you follow the uh the rabbit trail uh complaints 
always end up being some kind of complaint against God. That my life's just not going the way it needs to go. So you hear here uh, in this uh, section that um, there's a complaint. What's it a complaint against? Well, here's the early church just cracking on. And a complaint's come out against who? Probably the apostles. You know, it wasn't that far earlier in the, in the text where it actually said there wasn't a needy person among them and all of a sudden we've got a problem there. And it's a neglect thing. There's probably a bit of discrimination going on. This is a real threat. A real threat. There's a real risk here for the early church. Now, as a side note, as a side note, I can't remember where I read it, but uh, I think this phrase sums it up really nicely. The gospel unites... So the truth about Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, unites natural enemies. Like any kind of club that you get involved with in society tends to be kind of shared interests, shared kind of ways of doing life. What actually happens in the church is the uniting centre of the church is Jesus himself and what he does is he brings together people who by nature are natural enemies. So if you look around here and you see people who annoy you, congratulations, you do too. <laughs> you just, that's just how it rolls, all right? This is going to be the thing. Like if you're going to be in the church, what, you're gonna, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to get a whole bunch of people together who are just going to, they're going to, a bunch of them are going to get on really, really well and then there's some people just really going to annoy you. They're just going to get on your goat. How do I know? Because Jesus picked in his, uh, in his disciples, he picked Matthew the, t- the tax collector and Simon the zealot. One of them worked for the Romans and the other one probably wanted to kill them. All right? That's an interesting community group. <laughs> it just is. It's like, there's a, you know, I don't know, is there a kind of a, a, a metal scanner at the door when they walk in and, come on guys, like we're here, we're here to talk about, about good things. Jesus draws people from many different areas and many different people groups. And do you know something? That will be really good for you. You know, like don't come to church thinking that I'm naturally going to find a whole bunch of people that I'm really easily going to get on with. There's going to be people that are really just going to irritate you sometimes. And that will be really good for you. It'll be really good for you. What you should assume is that sometimes relationships in the church are going to be a challenge, that Jesus is going to help you and that it'll be really good. That's what you should assume. All right, another problem, another solution, verse 2 to 5. You can have a look at, have a look at it there. You notice how, uh, how this rolls in. The, uh, the apostles call everyone in. Now, here's the bottom line. Not everyone is needed for every decision in the church. But this is a big problem. And, uh, and what you do, as I mentioned earlier, is when you've got a bigger problem, you bring in more wisdom. You bring in more people. You, you get more counsel. And a problem for one is a problem for all. And whether you like it or not, there actually aren't any passengers on the project, tra- the project train. There just aren't. You know, at the start of every year, we have a uh, vision-type service. It's called uh, Stakeholder Sunday because every single person is a stakeholder. And, and my encouragement to some of you is you just need to buy in more. 
because your spiritual prosperity at some level, if you attend this church regularly, is tied to the church. So buy in, get part of the community, be part of this. So what do they do? Well, Acts 6 verse 2 says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now when the text there says it's not right, it's not talking about a moral statement, but it's talking about what's appropriate or acceptable. And the word is not actually used here, but the, uh, the word for uh, serving tables is the word from which deacon is drawn. A deacon is a, a, a table waiter. And it's not that ministry is below the apostles, it's just that they need to do something else. And so at the beginning of last year, we actually uh, kicked off deacons in the project. And the, and the job of a deacon is kind of to sit in between the, uh, the elders who lead the church and the congregation, the people in the church who do the ministry, who serve, and actually help that all to happen. And Nine Marks has got a really nice way of uh, putting this. Elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. That's, that's the way that we see it. And uh, the elders were just kind of at the church here, the leaders of the church, there's five of us, we're just kind of overrun us. So we actually need some people to help us to land the ministry and the details of each of these ministry areas. And it's been a huge blessing. Because what it actually did is it took off of our shoulders um, the responsibility to make things kind of happen in the details and enabled us just to lead and, and, to, and to be studying the Word, to be prayerful, to, to take the church forward spiritually. And how did we do it? Well, we presented... The, uh, the deacon thing, way back, we, uh, we invited nominations for, uh, for deacons. We, we went through an interview process with them. We gave you an opportunity to give us feedback on the people that we presented. And this is what we see in Acts 6 verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. You know, the apostles are still leading, but they're actually... Sub- they're kind of submitting their thoughts to the, uh, the group kind of wisdom here. And what, why do they need to be wise? Well, it's pretty obvious in this passage why they need to be wise because there's people who are upset. <laughs> and, you know, like you can see the situation here. The widows are upset, so what do you do? Well, you just avoid that. Like, let's just not go into that. I mean, if you're a conflict avoider, that's not going to be helpful at all. But, um, but what do the apostles suggest? It's like what we actually need is some really wise people filled with the Spirit that can go in there and engage with the, the trouble that's actually going on in there. They're going to need to be really wise. They had a fix for the, uh, the problem. Number three, a holistic solution, verse 5 to 7. A holistic solution is these, uh, let me read it. Verse 5 to 7. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus. None of these other names here we actually hear about. We do hear about Philip and Stephen again. Down to verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Now, here's, here's where I want to finish today. Does this passage signal the splitting of the practical care and the preaching of the gospel? This, this is a massive question, all right? Because you can actually see this throughout church history. There's a tendency for some churches to be really, really good at social justice and less good at preaching the gospel. And then other churches that seem to be really good at preaching the gospel and preaching the word and less good at doing social justice. Can you split them? Well, obviously you can, right? Because it's actually happened. But the question really is, does the Bible split them? And I think the answer is no, it doesn't. It doesn't split them. In the Bible, God goes for holistic solutions to problems. All right? And it seems like God's gig is like he's doing a holistic redemption. All right? A whole kind of redemption. I want you to come with me for a minute on this one. One of the, one of the, one of the pushbacks from me on splitting these two up is that I think we just have a, a clearer, more unified vision, biblical vision, I believe, of the human. You know, we believe that the parts of a human are kind of connected and it's kind of a whole, all right? You're an embodied soul. That, that the parts of the person are kind of interconnected. That the physical and the non-physical are actually linked. And when we care for someone, we should care for all of them. The non-physical heart, which the Bible talks about, affects the body. There's no two ways about it. When you're really anxious about something, there's a bodily effect. But also, the, uh, the body can affect the non-physical heart. And when we care for someone, I think we need to care for all of them. That's what we need to do. Now, I think that the spiritual does have precedence, right? And, and it retains some significant importance, right? But does that actually mean that you don't do other things? Does it mean that the rest of the person is not important? Absolutely not. It doesn't make sense to say this. Well, it might to some people, but come with me on this. Um, eating, drinking water and sleeping are most important. Therefore, I don't ever have to have a shower. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. All right? Because hygiene is important. Hygiene is very important. Is it critically important, like sleep and eating and drinking? Well, you could easily argue, no, it's not, but it's going to be if you leave it. You see, one of the things I think that the church has done is it's gone, spiritual redemption and spiritual rescue is really important, and then they've dropped the ball on the other things. And the bottom line is, if you're a human, you do critical things regularly, and you do less important things but still important things all the time. You do those all the time without having to drop the less important ones. Does that make sense? You, do, you actually do this. It's not like, like you say that something has some kind of precedence. You go, oh, okay, well, what that means is we don't do the other thing. Let's go, well, you, that's not how you live your life. You give priority things. You give priority to things. And then there's all these other things. Yeah, I do do those as well. Now, God is on the record, right, for being about the widow and the orphan and the downtrodden in practical ways. 
He does not drop the ball on those things. There is, in a very real sense, there's, there's practical matters that, that are not going to last for eternity because they're physical realities. There, there is a natural kind of precedence, but does that mean those things aren't important? Absolutely not. James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You know what our version of that is? I'll pray for you, brother. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's four degrees tonight and you're wearing a pair of boxer shorts. I'll pray for you, brother. Now, James is saying, you do that, uh, it, it shows you your faith doesn't have any works, that it's dead. Now, I don't totally agree with this next statement, but as a concept, I, um, I like it, right? But there's a pastor in, um, in Toowoomba that said to me once, he said, the way that you get balance is by going to all extremes equally. <laughs> all right? And there's, there's something in that, all right? That, that we just, just because you give something just a little bit more prominence and priority, it doesn't mean that you do the other things. Now, let me give you two more reasons why I don't think you can separate social justice or practical helps from the ministry of the word and prayer. And here's the first one, because both Stephen and Philip, two of the deacons, don't do it. You've got your Bibles open there. Uh, have a look at verse 9 and 10 of Acts chapter 6. This is about Stephen. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen was not just doing practical helps as a deacon and not speaking the truth. He was. He was doing both. He did both. Go down to Acts chapter 8, verse 5 to 8. This is Philip. He was one of the other deacons. Philip went down, this is uh, Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. What's he doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's telling people about Jesus. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. They're doing both. Here's two of your key deacons doing both. They're doing practical helps and they're preaching. They're not separating the two. They're telling people about Jesus with their mouths. Another powerful argument, I think, is from a guy called Christopher Wright, who's a uh, theologian who talks about the Old Testament exodus from Egypt of the Israelites. And let me uh, read you this quote, and then I'll, I'll rip through what he thinks about redemption. This is what Christopher Wright says. It is the exodus that provided the primary model of God's idea of redemption not just in the Old Testament, but even in the New, where it is used as one of the keys to understanding the meaning of the cross of Christ. So according to Wright, what was God up to in the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt for all those years? Well, he says that God was up to four things. Let me run you through them. Here's the first one. Political redemption. 
Israel was an immigrant minority people without a voice. They had no political freedom, they had no voice and God liberated them from the political injustice and made them a nation. It's political redemption. The second one Wright talks about is economic. The Israelites in Egypt were exploited as slave labour. They didn't own the land, they couldn't enjoy the fruit of the land and they were rescued by God from their slave labour. Economic redemption. Social redemption. Now, Wright says that there was a violation of human rights with the genocide of the Israelite women's sons. There was aggressive interference in their lives and you can actually see in the, the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians was the signal, one of the signals that redemption was actually coming in a social way, that they were going to be freed to be God's people who value and cherish life. And the last one Wright talks about is spiritual. You know, the repeated phrase by Moses and Aaron is that let the people go so they can go and worship God. Go and serve God. God rescues them so they can be connected to Him. God rescues them to bring them into covenant relationship with Himself. God didn't rescue them so they could go and worship whoever they wanted. It was to get the people connected to him. God's interested, folks, in holistic redemption in your life and in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. I think when you look at the text in Acts 6, I don't think, I don't think you see a separation between practical help and the gospel. And I could ask the question, is it better to practically help someone or to see them saved by Jesus? What would the answer to that be? Yes. Yes. Because there's a problem with the question. The problem with the question is that it separates the two. And I don't think the Bible separates the two. I think we're supposed to do both. And not in a weird way, like you've got to quote some kind of Bible verse at the end of every sentence when you're helping someone get some food, all right? But they've got to be connected to each other. I think the Bible, and I think God thinks, they're all connected. And I think we should think they're all connected. So we should try to do all of them. Now, mercy ministries or social justice drift is a real thing. There are many, many, many organisations that do awesome social justice work that came from a strong Christian base in the very beginning and they've drifted. I'm not saying that a social justice organisation that has drifted from its spiritual roots is doing bad things. Okay? But I just think there's a better way to do it. I'm saying that keeping the gospel and mercy together is best. I'm not saying that doing mercy to someone without the gospel is bad. I'm just saying that's better. Does that make sense? And so when we do stuff, we want to keep the gospel and we want to keep mercy side by side with one another. Let me um, really quickly rip through 
some uh, social justice or mercy organisations that do some great work and just give you a bit of a heads up about their background. Here's the first one. You'd know that symbol. Do you know the, um, the founder of the Red Cross? Uh, apparently the Red Cross was founded in 1859 and the uh, guy who founded it was Henry Dunant. And do you know that Henry Dunant came from a devout Calvinist family? Do you know that? And Calvinism is a very, uh, well, let's not even go into it, but it's a, it's a lot of theology. We, uh, we, would, we would align with uh, quite a bit of it. And do you know, reportedly at age 18, Henry Dunant joined the Geneva Society for Almsgiving. And the following year with some friends, he founded the so-called Thursday Association. And you know what the Thursday Association was? It was young men that met together to study the Bible and help the poor. That was the Red Cross. That's an awesome start, isn't it? And, and let me just say, they do awesome work now. But you can see in the Red Cross that they've, they've, they've drifted away from keeping the gospel and mercy side by side. Okay? So don't hear me criticising them for doing bad work. I'm just saying it's better to keep the gospel and mercy side by side. What about this one? The Royal Flying Doctor Service. You know this one, right? This was a uh, service set up to bring medical help for people who lived in places far from cities who, if they were seriously injured before the RFDS, they had to travel hundreds of kilometres by horse, cart or camel to reach a doctor. They often died before they got there. You know who started this? A Presbyterian minister. A Presbyterian minister started this. His name was John Flynn. John Flynn once said, if you start something worthwhile, nothing can stop it. That's a good thing. A former Governor-General of Australia, Sir William Slim, that'd be a cool name to have, wouldn't it? One set of Flynn, listen to this, his hands are stretched out like a benediction over the inland. And you know what happens to, to John Flynn? Is he ends up on the $20 note in 1994. A Presbyterian minister wants to reach people in inland areas of Australia, wants to care for them, starts this thing that becomes... The RFDS. And it's cool because when you go to uh, the RFDS website, they still, you can find out all this stuff about John Flynn, but in terms of their current operation, it just kind of looks like the gospel has drifted away and there's some really, really good mercy work going on, but it looks like it's drifted a little bit from its original moorings. Lifeline's another example of that. That was started by Reverend, <laughs> Reverend Sir Alan Walker. He took a call from a distressed man who later took his own life. Determined not to let isolation and lack of support be the cause of more deaths, he, he uh, started a 24-hour crisis support line. The lifeline do some amazing work. But it looks a little bit like the gospel has drifted away. Does it mean that the work that they're doing is not good? Not at all. I'm just saying that it's better when you keep the both there. Because what you've actually had, if you, if you think about the, uh, the four categories that Christopher Wright talked about, about political, social, economic and spiritual, 
none of the three organizations that I'm talking that I just mentioned to you care about the spiritual as much anymore it appears anyway from an outsider's point of view it's not kind of front and center for them anymore okay now some of those people would probably argue that it was and I'd be really open to hearing that but it just seems like it's drifted a little bit and and my message today is let's 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 get people redemption in in all those areas in all those four areas We know this because we've got a compassion sponsorship, right? I was going to say at the top there, our child sponsorship program doesn't just address children's physical needs but the needs of their heart, mind and soul. What have you got there? <laughs> That's all you got. You've got mercy, you've got social justice and you've got the gospel and they're sitting side by side. And it's good. Now... I'm not saying for a second that you shouldn't give money to, to Lifeline or to Red Cross or the RFDS. But this is good, right? This is good. We're looking, after, we're looking after as much as we can in that space. What about, you know, the Salvos? You've been to the Salvos website? This is beautiful. You go to the Salvos website, and I think the Salvos have some really good um, respectability in our culture. Look at when you go to the About section on the Salvos website. The Salvation Army is an international Christian movement united by faith in giving people help where it's hope where it's needed most. What are they doing? The first sentence, they're leading and they're saying, we're giving you help, and we're also a faith organisation, so we just want to be really clear about that. You can do it. I think God's calling us into this space as a church. I think, for those who call the project home, I think this is a, a really timely word for us because one of the areas that I think has been weak for us is uh, local mercy ministries. And we talked about that at the start of the year. We talked about, and um, we've been, just need to let you know, we've been working on finding some deacons to actually fill in that role. Of, uh, of leading local mercy ministries for us because I think we need to be connected there. You know, if you, if you said, Peter, which one is the project? Is it preaching the word with um, social justice being left behind or is it social justice, with social justice with preaching the word being left behind? I think we're on this one right now. And we do some stuff, but I, I just, let's be honest with ourselves and say, I, I think that's probably us. You know, one of the things I think would be awesome, and we're, we're in the process of nailing down this Mercy Ministries deacon, deacons thing, is um, I, I think it'll probably end up looking like the compassion team, all right? Which is like someone's going to be a deacon and they're going to take the lead on it and they're going to gather some people who have got a real interest and are really activated to be in this space um, to help them, to help them to actually do it. And uh, I'd love to hear from you if you're someone who's got a real heart to do this and would be interested in being taking a leadership role in it okay come and let me know let one of the elders know uh, that you're really interested in being in this space uh, and especially if you're under 30 not that there's anything wrong with you if you're over 30 all right but there's just got to be some uh, younger people out there that have just got a real heart and a real passion for helping people 
and a passion for mercy. And we just need your energy, folks. If you're in that category, or even if you're over 30 and you've got lots of energy. <laughs> you know, you've heard about the refugees at Ruth's uh, leading a, a crew who are engaging with refugees. I mean, isn't it awesome that you don't have to go to another country to do missions? You can actually do it in your own town um, by, by connecting with people who, who need help there. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Sarah Taylor talked about the Rahab ministry with uh, sex workers in town. There's lots and lots of good ministries in town that we could connect with to make that happen. We don't actually have to start a whole bunch of stuff. Like I think it would be the dumbest thing ever to start a soup kitchen for us. Why? Because there's an awesome soup kitchen in town. So we should just go and join in with them and not kind of have to reinvent the wheel all the time. You know, where else might God stir us up to work in partnership with local mercy ministries? I don't know. If you've got a heart for that, I want to hear from you. And you've heard us talk about a, uh, a local, a local counselling centre. Um, you know, a cheap, accessible counselling centre out here. Uh, but why stop at counselling? Why stop there? Um, why not do some debt help? You know, I, I've been involved with uh, Christians Against Poverty the last couple of years with their uh, their conference down there and one of their staff members and um, they're just doing awesome work like do you reckon Highfields could do with a bit of debt help probably yeah there's only one other place in Toowoomba and it's Humeridge Church of Christ that does uh, Christians Against Poverty stuff you know well we could be a northern expression of it up here and so you'd have this center that wasn't just doing counseling then but it's actually doing some some dead help stuff and why not even start dipping our toe in the water or some physical stuff you know i just think it's interesting what god's doing at the place i'm just going hey, what what is he doing we've got a bunch of people milling around that are counselors and we've got some people who are ex, you know got some expertise in dead help and we've got some people who have kind of got some more medical kind of um kind of expertise out i know that alice is is a dietitian i'm just going oh is, it, is that is that something is that is that is god doing something and it looks like it. What does it look like? I don't know. We probably just need to get our heads together and work that out. Uh, and that's coming. But um, just a, a holistic kind of thing. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? If it wasn't just counselling, but it's like come in here and we'll, we'll see God's redemption and his restoration happen across uh, the corners of your life. What's God preparing us for? Well, I think it's for something. Maybe have the uh, music team come up. Come, uh, come back with me to uh, Acts 6, verse 7. What's, what's the result? What's the result of uh, this problem getting squared away? Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase. The word's this, uh, this force a vital force and it brings about change in people's lives it changes my life i've been hanging out in hebrews the last few days and man it's cutting across me and it's changing stuff you know that right who knows what i'm talking about it changes stuff you know and it doesn't just change people who love jesus it changes people who don't which is why you should talk about it with people who don't love jesus all right because God is up to, and if you're here this morning, you don't love Jesus, you just need to know 
that the kind of redemption and the help and the restoration that God brings in, wants to bring in your life goes beyond your wildest imaginations. And your life will be better having Jesus in it. Does anyone give me an amen for that? Amen, right? It's better. We are people who say, get Jesus in your life. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it's always better. It's always better. What happens here? The Word is doing some good work. It cuts across and it makes things happen. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's living and active. You teach the Bible. You teach God's Word and people grow and things happen. That's what happens. <laughs> but we don't want to be a church that's all talk. Anyone want to go to a church like that? Not me. I don't want to be a church that's all talk. We want the Word to infuse our actions as much as our talk. Imagine how powerful it would have been here. You know, now we're not just talking about the apostles speaking the word, but there was a genuine problem there. And now the word is active and living and it's kind of going out as people care for one another and speak the truth about God to each other. Would have been powerful, right? Really, really powerful. So powerful that a bunch of priests get saved. <laughs> is that cool? Probably a bunch of them were amongst the Sadducees who are opposed to the apostles. Your main opponents are getting saved. Isn't that cool? So my encouragement to you, people from the project and and visitors, let's go after holistic solutions for people. And uh, let's, let's pray about what part God would have us play individually in that.